Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. I'm Kylie Camps, and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking, and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Welcome to episode number 80. Today's podcast is a conversation with a really, really energetic, super inspiring and relatable woman by the name of Sarah Davidson. You may know her as a spoonful of Sarah over on the gram where she really does keep it real and shares a whole lot of behind the scenes, kind of backstage pass content into her world. Now, part of her world is that she is the founder and co-founder of a variety of different companies and projects. She is certainly one multi-passionate woman. Sarah began her working life as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer at a leading international law firm. You'll hear in our podcast that her journey to where she is now from where she began working in law has been completely non-linear and has really been about following the next right thing one step at a time. My conversation with Sarah is wide ranging due to the fact that she has so many different things going on. I really hope that you enjoy this chat with the beautiful Sarah and as always it would mean the world to me if you take a screenshot and pop it up on your Instagram and tag me at Kylie Camps and also Sarah at Spoonful of Sarah just to let us know that you're having a listen and where you are and what you're up to. I hope you enjoy. Sarah, thank you so much for making time in your busy day to have this chat with me and our community. I've been really, really looking forward to speaking with you and it's kind of surreal to hear your voice on the other end of the line because I've listened to so many episodes of your podcast and it's just so nice to speak with you. <laughs> it's lovely to speak with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's so funny that, you know, you forget, I think you must feel this as well with having a podcast, how when you record, the audience isn't there in front of you. So you forget that other people listen to your voice all the time. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, I just was looking at podcast metrics just then because I needed to update a media kit. And it's like, wow, there's people listening like right now that like you can't yeah. just put it out there and you forget that it's evergreen. 
Totally. I, I just like assume that it's just me, the person, you know, I'm chatting with and then maybe my two friends. Um, but then you're like, oh, wow, actually other people listen. And there's so many times I get super comfortable and just say random stuff that I'm, you know, just gas bagging all the internal workings of my brain. And then I'm like, oh, wow, that was an overshare, given that thousands of people were going to hear it. <laughs> I know there's definitely a faux intimacy when you are recording. And the other night I was recording an episode with a girlfriend of mine and I could feel that happening because I know her so well. And I was like, wow, I'm disclosing way too much here. <laughs> but that's kind of part of the beauty of having a podcast. Absolutely. I think that's why it, it does end up creating such wonderful, intimate content and why you do end up kind of feeling like a fly on the wall is, I guess, because it is just you and the guest and you do get to hear a side of people that you you don't usually get to hear them just in conversation with one person. I think it's such a fun medium for that reason. Absolutely. And especially with everything going on in the world right now, given that so many people are missing those connections. I think podcasts right now are really, really serving that purpose of bringing diversity and variety into people's homes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, when I was reading up on all of your many projects, I really could not decide what part of your journey that we should focus on today. I literally would start writing questions about one of your businesses and then I was like, oh no, but she has this happening and she has that happening. And it was just hard to kind of get it all streamlined. And then I thought, you know what? I think that our community will really, really value hearing you speak about your many different moving parts and your projects and your businesses and the actions you've taken, but also just in general, how you manage tying everything together and all of the tabs that are open, because there are so many different moving parts to the fabric that make you. And you're certainly very, very inspiring. And we could probably have a hundred conversations, but <laughs> I thought let's try and focus on being multi-passionate and also taking action on your impulses. Before we dive in though, I wanted to just ask, how are you coping with the state of the world, the COVID pandemic and all that it's brought along? Like how are you doing both personally, but also professionally? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I think it's a very unsettling, uncertain time that obviously none of us in our lifetimes have probably experienced before um, and I think none of us have really ever faced this level of disruption of planning or routine and humans like certainty, we like habits. So I think all of us are facing a lot of change and discomfort around um, things just not going how we thought that they would and then not really being prepared for how they would end up changing. From a work perspective, we've had a lot of work slowed down uh, in the realm of sort of content creation and uh, TV and productions and all the things that you would need to do in person. Um, we're very, we feel very lucky that our online business, Matra Maiden, which is predominantly online, has actually gone the other way, given that people can't make it to health food stores and are turning online to find ways to look after their health through this time. So even if Overall, things have slowed down a lot. Um, work, we're still able to work and we still kind of can wake up each day and have a to-do list, which I think really helps keep you mentally focused and mm. gives you, you know, that kind of structure of knowing that you have direction. something to do. Yeah, purpose has been really helpful. Um, we did have to close our cafe 
which was really sad, letting go of all the staff and uh, so abruptly and knowing that a lot of them didn't really, you know, have a plan for what else to do. But um, I think where, you know, we look at a lot of other restaurant and hospitality owners who didn't have anything else on the go and we consider ourselves very lucky that we do have other arms. You know, it's never actually been more of an advantage to be multi-passionate than right now. I didn't necessarily think it was a good thing until now, you know, before I was always mm-hmm. felt a bit distracted, but now I'm glad we kind of have a lot of different projects on the go. Personally, I think um, I had just reached, I, I've gone through a really big transition over the past five years from someone who needs certainty and needs to plan everything out, every possible scenario. I'm such an A-type, OCD, anal retentive, organized person that I'd always know exactly what I was going to be doing each day for the next kind of five years. Whereas since transitioning into business and really having to drop that need for certainty and structure and clarity, I think almost right on time, I was just at the start of this year hitting the peak of my ability to just surrender to what happens, Mm. to surrender to uncertainty, to know that things don't usually turn out how you plan them. Often they turn out better. Even the really tough, challenging times like this, for example, we don't necessarily ever understand why they happen or, how you know, we don't at this time know how long it's going to happen. But I always trust that at the end when we all come out of it, there will be some silver lining that we can focus on. There'll be something we've learned or there'll be something, you know, there's a meme that came out. Um, it's like Earth sent us to our rooms to think about what we've done. Yes, I've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. And I think almost straight away, just because of how much I'd been working on changing my mentality towards planning and, and that kind of thing uh, and being really open-minded to whatever this year turned out to be like, uh, I think as soon as it, as it happened, obviously there was a lot of, um, I did have a, a bit of an anxiety flare up, just changing routines and not being able to do the, the usual things I would do to keep that in check. But I've been able to largely focus on the fact that we've been given this tragic, of course, but unexpected excuse to slow down in a world where everything else otherwise is encouraging us to speed up. And mm, it's that forced pause that we're all collectively taking. Yeah, and I don't think we could have needed it more than at this time when just when everything was starting to just get exponentially faster with no end in sight, I think we've all been given a little bit of time to go inwards again and just stop and look at the way we do our life and think about what serves us, what doesn't. Uh, there's obviously a lot of loss and um, and challenge and illness for a lot of people uh, and I I so it's so hard you feel so helpless I wish we could do more um, but we've as a family been able to spend a lot of time together we've been able to connect with our friends you know I just focus on how grateful I am that we're isolating in a time where we have Skype and FaceTime and Zoom and we're not really you know we're social we're physical distancing but we're not forced to social distance from our connection and relationships so yeah overall I've had um I've had weird days uh, or down days or frustrated restless days but most of all I think I've um been able to yeah to surrender and just focus on on the positives that there still are which you can always find if you look hard enough absolutely and it is it really is just that time of it's such a juxtaposition where half of you is really aching for the people that are deeply affected and the other half of you feels gratitude for the 
opportunity to take the pause and the reprieve. And you can also see the the way that as humans, we are adapting and also innovating. You know, I've just noticed so many businesses, the way that they've been forced to reassess their business models and innovate, like there are going to be really positive things that come with time, but mm-hmm. it is certainly just a weird, weird time in history. And it is so much about relinquishing that control of what is out of our hands. So thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. And I mentioned in the beginning that you are multi-passionate, which I really connect with because myself, I have a few different things on the go at all times. And I would just love if you could, in your own words, share with our listeners a little bit about yourself and the different projects, the different companies that you have going on in your life. Yeah, for sure. It's a bit of a patchwork Everyone quilt. take a seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get comfortable. Get some popcorn. <laughs> so I started out on a very, very different trajectory. As I mentioned before, it was very conservative and planned out. I, uh, I think since I was a kid, I've always had two very distinct contrasting sides to me. There's one that's super, super organized and uh, loves planning and loves spreadsheets and loves color coordinating things and is a bookworm. But then the other side of me has been this crazy circus kid that always was dancing around and painting. And it's like just such different parts of my personality, but they've always been about the contrast. Yeah. It's just great. I don't think I knew at the time, but, you know, now with hindsight, looking back, I can see how clearly both of those sides played a part for, for most of my life. Uh, and what, you know, what happens when, you know, all of us go to school and start exploring and doing lots of different things is I was always that kid because of that contrast who did a bit of everything. My subject choices were always really broad. I went super nerdy on the sciences, but then I'd also do some languages and humanities. I always did sports and drama and just kind of never really chose just one thing. I just liked always to have a lot of things on the go. And then it got to, you know, the pointy end of, of, our uh, VCE or, you know, year 11 and 12 at the end of high school. And I had um, a very, very wild, irresponsible, total like meltdown in year nine and 10, was super naughty and just had my rebellious phase. I'd, I'd been a dancer when I was younger with the Australian ballet. And I think when I quit, you know, I discovered boys and parties and, and I had a lot of time to make up for. But when it got to actually deciding, you know, there's a future ahead, we have to start thinking about what course we might want to apply for and things started to get serious. That's when I realized I actually had no idea what I wanted to be. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had so many interests that sometimes it can be a bit of a disadvantage almost because then you just don't know, there's too much choice. What the path is. Yeah, there's no clear pathway. So out of literally trying to leave as many doors open as possible I ended up just studying really hard knowing that you know the bet the better I could do the better I would be even if I didn't know what that would be in maybe by the end of year 12 I would have figured it out still hadn't figured it out so I chose to do arts law so that I could keep as many doors open because I thought that's kind of one of those degrees that sets you up really well I ended up getting the score to get into it Uh, but it also meant that you could go in, you know, not many doors close with that degree, unlike, you know, medicine or something really specifically science-y. I kind of fell into it by a process of elimination. And then I got on to, once I got to uni, 
I just got on the bandwagon of momentum and had an amazing time. I went on, I continued every extracurricular activity and went on all these exchanges. But in terms of career, from very early in your law degree, you're told that you have to start applying for internships in this year to get into grad positions in this year. And like everything's very clearly laid out. And I got really just caught up in the momentum of, you know, well, if I want to get the next thing. Yeah, if I want to get a job, it's probably going to be as a lawyer because I'm studying law, so I should do all these things. So I ended up, you know, still not figuring out by the end of uni what I actually wanted to do, but again thought, I'll I'll get my qualification, I'll get into a really good firm. My mum always said to me, even if you don't know what you want to do, just do something because that will never be a waste of time. It will show you whatever the next thing after that might be. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll get qualified. I'll, you know, bide my time and get some experience in the workforce, you know, figure out what life is and how to be an adult and, you know, what a wage is and all that stuff uh, and ended up getting into a, a really wonderful firm that I never actually hated the work. I never wanted to leave. I was never sitting there sort of thinking, oh, this is awful. But I was definitely like, okay, like, sure, you know, this is fine. This is great learning opportunities. I got to travel. I had really good superiors. I learned so much about the world. It didn't light me up. It didn't ignite me, but it was fine. And it wasn't until a complete, what we call the infamous happy accident, that I even realized there was anything other than just fine. So everything that's happened since then has made me so passionate about the fact that Most of us will wait until we're actively unhappy to make a change, but there's a whole population of us out there who are just fine. We're just blah. We're just cool. Like, you know, we're grateful. We've got a job. It's paying the bills. That's wonderful. Coasting along. Yeah, and that's it's nothing wrong with that at all, particularly if you choose to actively be there. But I didn't choose. I think I just coasted. I just rolled with the punches and got caught up in – the distractions really of prestige and expectation and the should and that everyone else thought it was a good respectable job to do and that I was you know surrounded in that world that's you know that downstream momentum totally and I call it the productivity hamster wheel where you're just like that (laughs) yeah you're just like being busy but in no direction it's just on the spot but it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not getting you anywhere closer to where you actually want to be to the point where I didn't know where I wanted to be. I often thought maybe one day I won't be a lawyer, but I don't know where else I'd be. And people would ask, well, okay, let's look at your passions and your hobbies because that will help you figure it out. And I didn't have any. So mm. I found myself in this position of like, okay, I'm not not happy. So maybe this is fine forever. And it was only when I went to Rwanda with my, my partner, now husband, uh, he'd been working for a, a charitable organization. Um, he's got a creative agency and he'd been doing all the campaign work for an amazing campaign called the Five Cent Campaign that had supported a school out in country Rwanda. So we were lucky enough to go and spend a month there in my first year of law, which was um, not very well looked upon that I took a month off in my first year of work. But it was an absolutely transformative uh, transformative time, uh, just working in the school and, and experiencing their culture. It was absolutely beautiful. But I brought home a parasite. And that was really what knocked everything, like 
completely derailed the path that I was on. I came home, totally ignored all the signs, had absolutely no connection with wellness or my body or the signs it was giving me. My gut, the parasite was in my gut. I had lost my appetite. I didn't realize I lost 15 kilos over a couple of months before I collapsed at work. Yeah, I had I had no idea though. I had so much adrenaline. I just thought I was, I don't know, I was like, oh, losing some pounds, woo. Uh, and I had no idea until I collapsed completely at work and had burnt out into adrenal fatigue. And that was when I realized I had been absolutely killing myself and sacrificing everything, including my own health, for something that I didn't really know why. Like, it's fine if you're passionate about it, but if you're not, like, why was I doing that? What was my need to just do more and be busy and be, you know, productive and ticking all these goals when I didn't even care about them? I also realized such a big wake up call and sometimes it really does take our bodies to actually shut down to let us know, okay, we've missed the early warning signs here. (laughs) And the late warning signs, apparently. (laughs) Like I like to think I'm a fast learner in some areas, but um, in terms of my health, I've been the slowest like snail mail person to figure out what the signs (laughs) have been telling me. But then I, um, I got banned from coffee in that time. And, and alcohol and a lot of other things that my body was just too weak to process as I learned how to look after myself and figured out about the world of wellness that was out there. And it was through that just being completely uh, like had, I had no idea how to survive without coffee, but I got sent to Hong Kong to the firm's headquarters once I was well enough to work again. And over there, matcha powder is everywhere. It's been around for centuries. It's not the buzzword in the East as it is in the West because it's been around forever and it's this amazing form of caffeination that gives you almost half the amount of caffeine as coffee but it slow releases into your bloodstream so you never get the crash and the jitters but it's also a powder it tastes lovely it tastes like green tea it's it is just green tea leaves ground into a fine powder but it has 137 times the antioxidants and I was sort of like we drink spirulina in Australia and that tastes like foot so worse than foot, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, you know, we would definitely be able to tolerate green tea flavor. Like everyone knows what green tea is. Why is matcha, you know, we're drinking kale smoothies. Why is matcha not a big thing? So we got hooked in Hong Kong. Nick came over and stayed for a little while and he started using it. Then we came home and we couldn't find it anywhere. And this had now become like quite a habit of mine because I didn't feel like I needed to go back to coffee. And literally out of our own selfish need to find a good quality matcha powder that was affordable and that was made cool, you know, the Kardashians were drinking it, Victoria's Secret Angels were drinking it, but no one had made a brand name. It was just this generic, like sugar, it was just a powder. Mm. Out of our own selfish need, we, we found a supplier on Google, we bought some, it was way too much for two people. And we thought as a little, not even a side hustle, just a hobby, why don't we try and sell some just to get some, you know, recoup some of our own funds and also just as a reason to spend a little bit more time together, do a little creative project. Um, and even if we just sell one bag, all we need to do is, is sell one bag and then we've kind of ticked the box. I can put it on my LinkedIn that I'm an entrepreneur and then I'll just go back on my merry way. <laughs> I love that. So and- when you when you made the decision to on-sell some of the matcha that you had bought where did you sell it where did you start so it was 
such an ad hoc process, again, because we had no idea, no experience. Nick had run businesses, but never a product. We just Googled everything. We're like, where would you host the site? You know, how do you even make an online store? We ended up hosting it on WooCommerce. Nick uh, just knocked up a, you know, really basic website. Social media at the time had a very, very simple algorithm, so it was a lot less complicated. And I had hours and hours at work at my desk to sort of start building an Instagram following that was, you know, really targeted already. We started posting a lot of green stuff, so people knew that there was a green theme. It was health and wellness. Um, What year was this, Sarah? Sorry to interrupt. 2015, start of 2015. Uh, so very early days in the Instagram world, you know, it was very easy to, well, not very easy, but a lot easier to Much build. Easier. Yeah. And, you know, with a certain set of ingredients and tools, you could really build a following quite quickly. So we ended up, uh, spending, I think about three weeks while Nick built the site, kind of starting to build momentum and build an audience to launch to. We had a couple of, I think maybe like 20,000 Uh, followers by the time we launched which as you know now is like not heard of you can't just build that from nothing um but we launched thinking you know nothing would happen we're just sitting at our computers like oh we launched out to the world and nothing's gonna happen and we sold out in five days actually maybe six days yeah and that was the start of our total accidental journey into business together and it was it wasn't that I thought you know, I'm passionate about health and wellness and creating and drawing and designing logos. I want to do this. It was more that by accident, I realized I would have to use those skills to make the business work. And then I realized how much I love them. And by contrast, that showed that law, I was completely just blah about it. I didn't even know I was blah until I saw how much more invigorated I could be by some something else. I love that. And I think it's, sorry, I was just going to say it's so I think valid to really stress the point for our listeners that it wasn't that you planned out or mapped out to start the business. It was just noticing, hey, there's a gap in the market and hey, this is something I enjoy. And it wasn't about having that big five-year plan at that stage. It was just the next right thing. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the quotes that I love so much, I love quotes, is you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. And we we had no idea what was going to happen like the next day, let alone the next month or the next year. And very much just thought it would, you know, when we had, when we started it, we honestly had no idea. We hadn't even thought that far to sort of what would happen with it. We just thought, what's the tomorrow task? You know, what do we need for tomorrow? And that to me at the time was the opposite of how I'd ever thought. Everything was 10, 20 years down the track. You know, lawyers are trained to think that way. But slowly, slowly, I realized you don't, I mean, in some industries you do, but in there are, there's a whole other world out there where you don't have to know what you're going to do every five years. You know, you, you can take things as just one step, one foot in front of the other. You don't need a five-year business plan. And every year on year since then, something new has happened again that showed me that if I had had a five-year plan and stuck religiously to it, I would have excluded the possibility of anything different and better happening because I would have closed my mind to it so it's almost Mm. like sometimes you've got to throw the net as widely as you can and just see what happens and let it take its own course like obviously do enough planning to kind of keep your idea afloat in terms of buying stock or 
preparing for a little bit of success, maybe not preparing for none, so that if you do get some, you can actually cope with the demand, <laughs> which has been an ongoing issue but for us. Also, just not being too stuck on one concept or one model or one thing. Like you said, I love how you mentioned, you know, casting the net wide. Yeah, and even now, you know, if I look back at any any one moment in every part of the journey from then until now, we we never knew what the next step was going to be. Like we were completely unaware until it just happened, until we just ex- kept exploring every opportunity and seeing where it went. And that then led, you know, I think kind of feel like you're at a fork in the road every time you make a decision and you never know which, you know, how many forks down to the right or to the left you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought that, you know, that all the other businesses would have sprouted out of that. Um, but it was in not being attached to any one outcome and just enjoying the process and seeing where it took us and and also going slowly and gradually rather than trying to, I think we all try and get to the end really fast. But instead of that, just going, you know, we're just going to see, we're just going to see how it grows and I'm not going to try and leave my job straight away. I didn't even think about that until it was, you know, well past the time when it was necessary for me to do that. All of the steps that came were you kind of just stumble on them almost, which sounds terrible. Like I, I don't mean like just have no plan at all and don't, you know, like just stumble no, through I life. What, but... you, what you're saying makes complete sense. And it also really ties in beautifully with what you mentioned at the start of our conversation surrounding relinquishing control. And that's why I think having your own business is such great training for that because you come up against yourself and you also realize that you really can't get too attached to one certain thing because if you become too laser focused and you know have tunnel vision on just one little thing then you could miss so many amazing opportunities and I just think it's amazing because like you said you know Matcha Maiden really took off and then that was able to kind of springboard you into your next project your next business and it's not necessarily linear but it all makes sense it's all woven together yeah and I think one of the things I love exploring, you know, on, on my own podcast now is that exact idea that very, very few pathways are linear. Like you might come across one or two people in your lifetime who knew what they wanted to be when they were little and then do that now and still love it. But the vast majority of us have this crazy like roller coaster journey with diversions all over the place, increasingly as the world gets more fast paced, most of us are actually expected to have five or six careers or and pivots and changes. And even within those careers, everything is just so fast that if you aren't prepared to pivot, you will miss out on how different and better things could be. There's just there's almost no ability to plan now because you just don't know what the landscape is going to look like in a, in a little while. So I think agility and the ability to um, be adaptable to change and to novelty uh, is maybe one of the best skills that you can develop. Absolutely. And so you mentioned that Matcha Maiden really took off when you sold out within five or six days, which is super, super phenomenal. And just in terms of success within the last, I guess, five years, of Matcha Maiden, what have been some of your biggest highlights so far with that component of your business? Oh, I think uh, the, the the big highlight was in the first six months when we realised really it had gone from this, you know, fun little side project that we never thought would go anywhere to Urban Outfitters in the US 
found us off the back of our Instagram presence and contacted us requesting a custom Urban Outfitters product. And Amazing. <laughs> that was so far-fetched that I thought it was spam and just ignored it for the first three weeks of, <laughs> after getting the email because I was just like, there's no way. We were packing in our knickers, you know. I'm like, there's just no way that Urban Outfitters in America would want us to create something for them. But once they forgave us for being so delayed, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was when, you know, we we worked out how many units they wanted us to pack. It was more units than we packed in the whole six months beforehand. We were still packing ourselves. And it came down to the only way we could say yes was for someone to go full time. Otherwise, if I had to keep my job, then we would have to say no. So it really became mutually exclusive. I had to choose one or the other. And I really, I think one of the big questions I always ask myself is what's the once in a lifetime opportunity? Law will always be there. Sure, I might lose a few years or be a bit behind my peers, but as an industry, the job will always exist. Whereas this was kind of truly once in a lifetime. When else could you launch? A moment in time. Yeah, and there weren't many competitors then. Like even though we could launch it the year after, you don't know how much the competitive landscape might have changed by then. Like we had, we were on the cusp of something and I just thought, I don't, think I'll ever regret seeing what happens. I can always go back if it fails. If it doesn't fail, what a bonus. Um, and I left the next day and that was really, I think, one of the, still one of the biggest highlights of just realising we'd made something from nothing uh, and that I could actually leave my career behind for it. It was just such a weird thing to get my head around. Absolutely. Um, and for those who are listening right now and perhaps do have a business that they're working on, I know that I often get messages from women who are in the situation where they have a business but they're also juggling a real, like, a, you know, a nine-to-five style job and they're feeling the pressure to take that leap and quit their job. But I've read before in other interviews that you kind of, you're really big on making sure that women and men know it's fine to have your job and your side hustle until it gets to that point, that crucial point of having to jump ship. Absolutely. I think we're so, like you get really excited and I pretty much wanted to go full time from week one because I was just having such a good time and discovering all these skills and this whole side of me that I'd let fizzle a little bit. But I also think the reality of life is, you know, we all want to go and live our dreams, but we also have bills to pay. Some of us have dependents. You know, if you're a parent, it's not just your livelihood at stake when you just decide to go and change careers, you know, drastically. And and there are realities. So I think um, one of the things that helps with the self-doubt or the fear in taking a big jump like that, the best way to allay those fears is really to make it less risky and part of that is waiting a little bit longer until you've had a bit more time to you know get you know accrue some savings like I you know once I knew that we had the business that whole six months of having an income I was really conscious of trying to save as much as I could and also that became our capital for buying new stock for that six months as long as I could do them both, I thought I'm going to try and sustain this as long as I can because financially it makes sense and it will help the business grow as well as long as we have money. Um, and there's a debt, you know, there's obviously a very delicate fine line between waiting too long and not waiting long enough. But I think uh, I would, uh, I, I want everyone to rip the band aid and take the jump and, and get through the fear. But I also want 
you to give yourself a little bit of a chance to give your idea uh, some time to give proof of concept, to show that it can work and that it can, you know, we definitely weren't at the stage where it could pay my whole wage by the time I left, but it it was going well enough that I thought in a few months it might be able to, you know, I think everything is a balance of risks and you don't want to go too far on one side of the spectrum. Absolutely. And that's what I often say in terms of confidence, like anything in life, if you want to build confidence in any area, first and foremost, focus on building the evidence, because then when you have the evidence that really builds self-belief and self-confidence. So just chipping away at that evidence, like you said, keeping one foot in the door and just, you know, build, build, build till you get to that point where you're like, okay, all the evidence is pointing to the fact that now is the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that with um, Matcha Maiden and keeping in line with your love for matcha and wellness, Australia's first matcha cafe was born, Matcha (laughs) Milk Bar. And that's so, well, I know that right now your doors are shut, but you've been serving plant-based food in Melbourne. And when I was stalking your account, the Milk Bar account was seriously just making me hungry just looking at the photos. The food (laughs) looks absolutely beautiful. How did you take the leap from having the online startup, which had all of these amazing opportunities just pop up quite organically, to making the move to having an actual physical brick and mortar location? Again, I think once I got a taste of the whole spontaneous, like roll with the punches, just jump in and give things a try, (laughs) I, I really quickly took on this mentality of give things a red hot crack. What's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work. You go back to the thing you were doing before and you've learned a lesson. So we got about a year into Matcha Maiden. It was going really well. I also realized, though, that having an online business means that it's very hard to, it's not hard to build a community, but it's very hard to get the human interaction part of work that I'd always had before just by working in an office with colleagues. And so I thought, what what would be a way to bring this more into the real world? And it wasn't until our now business partner, uh, Mark Filippelli is one of my dearest friends. He did law with me. Uh, he only lasted three weeks when I lasted three years. He and his brother, in the meantime, had become hospitality heavyweights in Melbourne with multiple successful venues. And we ended up in LA together traveling. So Nick and I were looking at all the beverage trends. He was looking at all the food trends. And we ended up sort of realizing, you know, we're going to all the same cafes. Why don't we do a little cafe tour and do all our research together? So also we wouldn't look like weirdos just eating meals at every cafe. <laughs> and doesn't sound like a terrible holiday to be honest. <laughs> yeah, we were working, but not really working. <laughs> and we realized over there that the two big trends coming out of the States were matcha drinking and plant-based eating. And the thing that united them as we were researching was the blue zones research, which are the five zones, Mm -hmm. like tiny geographical areas in the world where people live dramatically longer than anywhere else. And there's been all these studies into the main factors that they share in their lifestyle that might explain why they live so much longer. So one of the main factors is majority plant-based diet and not for vegan reasons, but just because that's what's available and sustainable in those areas. And the other one in the blue zone with the most 100-year-olds in the world, which is Okinawa in Japan, is also due to their matcha drinking, which adds to their longevity. So we suddenly thought 
there's this whole connection here for a, a venue or a concept based on living longer where every other venue that's sort of plant-based or really health-focused is often focused on animal ethics or other considerations that are absolutely valid but just so heated that it makes the mainstream kind of switch off. I know most of my, you know, most of my meat-eating friends would never consider going into a vegan restaurant because they think they'd sacrifice on taste or it wouldn't be filling or it would be too hippie or woo-woo or they'd get judged or patronised or whatever. And we thought, like, maybe we could make a longevity-based cafe that took all the heat out of it and focused purely on the science of sustainability, was really non-judgmental, but also that created meals that we wouldn't even announce them as vegan. They just would be. And then we'd almost trick people into coming into a normal breakfast venue and realize, oh, it's actually a great experience. And then they've eaten, you know, we don't want to, we're not vegan, so we, we didn't want everyone to convert. We just thought if all of us could eat one or two meals without meat per week, that's more change than making a vegan restaurant for people who are already vegan. That's That doesn't change anything. Absolutely. And I think it was October or November when, no, November when we were traveling, we opened by January because we were just like, <laughs> we were just like, let's just rip the Band-Aid. Let's just do it. Hit same the ground as, running. Same as Matcha Maiden. We are like, we he had a venue already that, uh, had just the business that was in it before had just finished. We went in there, we painted, we built, we did everything ourselves to again to kind of make the risk smaller and just try it out as a pop up, give it some you know legs, give it a chance to prove that it was worth investing a bit more in the fit out. Uh, we opened, yeah, you know, I think three weeks later or maybe a couple more, a couple more weeks than that later. And um, that was three and a half, maybe four years ago now. Wow. And so obviously right now you're in the midst of one of the biggest challenges that I'm sure um, the Milk Bar has faced, but what have been some of the other challenges, particularly in the early days? Because I know myself, one of my good girlfriends, her family runs a cafe here in northern New South Wales, and they have so many amazing, great staff members, but so many different personality types and so many different moving parts when it comes to actually producing a really high quality you know level of food and drink and then also the service side of things so what were some challenges for you in the early days of starting the matcha milk bar I think we were very very lucky that we had partners who had already kind of made their bones in hospitality and uh, I think one of the best things you can look for in a partnership is to fill the gaps in your own skills and we complemented each other so well. So they had a lot of experience in managing staff and and different personalities and kind of figuring out what works on the floor. I think the, the biggest challenges for us were uh, the fact that most people aren't in hospitality for their career. You know, a lot of your staff in, in other jobs, there's a career trajectory. They're kind of in it for the long run. Floor staff in a hospitality are often at uni or they're traveling. It's quite transient. So kind of getting used to the idea that we wouldn't always have one big family. It wouldn't always be the same um, was a bit jarring for me because I really wanted to invest in our staff and build this community and always have the same people. But obviously over four years in hospitality, we've had 75 different family compositions, you know, like it, it changes all the time. So that kind of constant change was really difficult. Um, yeah, 
I guess also adapting to having two different things to focus on. I'd always had, you know, one clear job, one clear project. And this was the first time I'd really branched out to have two. So just balancing our, even just managing financially, like balancing two different things at once and figuring out that it was okay to split your time and energy between two things. And and then the big thing after that became managing myself in between those things. So, you know, having many million tabs open, you know, whenever you have a business at the start, especially you're wearing all the hats, like all of you are splitting every single hat because you can't afford other staff members at the beginning. So in both businesses, we were wearing too many hats. We were burning ourselves into the ground. We do our normal working hours for the online business, but then hospitality hours on the weekend, we'd be on the floor, we'd be hosting, we'd be running events, we'd be rushing around everywhere. And, and that was, again, I think, that year was when I started to fall back into the same patterns that I had in corporate and realized I'd just replicated everything that was bad about my past life in my new life by getting on that busy bandwagon of like, I just need to be busy all the time. And I ended up getting adrenal fatigue again, actually, at the end of the first year of having two businesses and just realized if I'm going to do this, I might as well go back to law. If I'm just going to end up burnt out and not super happy and not myself, what was the point of all this? Um, and that that was when I really realized, you know, if you want to be able to live a life where you have lots of tabs open, you have to learn to cope with it emotionally and physically. And that was really the start of boundaries, I think, for me. I'd gone from having a very, very structured life to then having no structure and realizing that was fun for five minutes. But if you don't have any structure, really, you just get carried away with yourself. You don't get much done. Everything blurs into each other. And without a sense of purpose and a sense of time passing and a distinction between weekends and weekdays, you know, life just becomes this blob of just blah, blah. <laughs> this blur of just rushing around. And that's certainly such a great point that you bring up there, Sarah, about boundaries. And I think that that's one that, you know, quite often women do struggle with noticing when they need to put a boundary in place and how to actually do that. Mm. And so I guess you were kind of forced to re-examine again and go, okay, Again, full plate, hamster wheel situation in a different dynamic and then being forced to look at, okay, I've got to manage my own personal wellness first. And on top of your personal wellness and managing that, you also have your own personal brand as well. You're known on Instagram as a spoonful of Sarah and you've got a really great strong following there. So how instrumental has social media been with you know, your own personal brand and also your businesses? So fundamental. I think uh, especially because of the time we started when pretty much the platforms operated, you could put so much time, you know, you got the same result out as the time you put in. It wasn't as kind of convoluted and confusing. So beginning to grow our businesses on those platforms and also because Matcha Maiden was online, there was a direct click through and evidence of sales. You know, you'd put more effort in and get more creative on social media. You'd see the click through rate going to the online store. Uh, but also then even as it got more complicated, still having a voice and an online identity and a way to kind of personalize everything that you were doing and reach out and connect with people who are your audience and your community has been absolutely fundamental. I, I 
absolutely think it has its downsides and its risks and that we need to use it really responsibly. But I also credit it. I will always be so grateful and and uh, credit social media for allowing me to engineer this whole change in my life because without it, without this free way to spread the word about something and free way to start a business and I think it's really democratized influence in business. I wouldn't have been able to do this. So I think it's one of the most valuable uh, tools that has shaped our generation for for the better. Communication, a lot, absolutely. <laughs> along with all its risks and downsides, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful tool. Mm, I agree with you. And you also have your podcast, which we've referenced a couple of times now, and it's called Seize the Yay, which <laughs> yes, has the catchiest intro ever. <laughs> you have had some huge guests on there, including Gary V, who I'm a massive fan of. Can you talk to us about your podcast? What was it that made you want to put more on your plate and explore that medium? It was just the next step of everything we've been talking about of sort of just keeping things open constantly to reevaluation and reassessment. And, you know, I think there's a very, very fine balance, particularly for people who are a bit overexcited about life like me, a very fine balance between like accepting and being happy with what you have, but also always looking for what else there could be. And I think because I had gotten so complacent at one point in my life, never investigating what else there could be, now I'm always really, I make a lot of time to sit back and value, evaluate what might be missing or what am I not getting enough of or what where's the balance sitting and is that the right balance for me right now? And particularly because our lives are changing so fast at any one time, you know, something that suits you last year, your, your needs and your uh, stimulation and passions might change by the next year. So year to year, I really focus particularly at New Year's on making resolutions, evaluating what went well last year and what I want more of this year. And I think I got to about probably three or four years into Matcha Maiden and and a year less into um, Matcha Milk Bar. And I realized that I'd gone from having such an independent career to having male business partners in everything and nothing that was left on the side for the complete expression of my sort of bubbliness and femininity and pink. And, you know, I was missing a real feminine element to my work. And uh, I think for about a year I felt that kind of gap or that little bit of unsettling feeling uh, during the work week. And I don't know whether, you know, it's very, very common in business to get that. I can completely relate. I'm sat here nodding going, yep, there's so much (laughs) masculinity in the doing of having a business. Yeah, but but also I think a lot of us get to this three or four year itch where the start has been so manic and so like winging it and crazy and exciting that then when it settles down and the the, st- the actual hard work starts, suddenly you're like, oh, like, oh, this bit's hard now. Like I'm not just having fun and flying around and la la la, you know, it actually gets difficult. And that's it's so important for you to be, you know, that's why businesses often don't survive past four years is because the novelty wears off and it all gets too difficult. But I think at the same time, I, you know, we did have to do a lot of adjustment around, okay, how are we going to actually systemize? How are we going to keep this going without the buzz of it being new? But at the same time, I realized as well as that for me personally, I need another iteration. I'm ready for another chapter or another, uh, you know, I always said like agility and adaptability are really important. I was ready to 
adapt again to something new. And it, and I think by then I'd realized you don't need to get all of your joy or all of your fulfillment and stimulation from one project. You can be someone who is multi-passionate and only around that time did I realize maybe I was, maybe I didn't need to get it all from one job. Maybe there is no job or life structure that ticks all the boxes. Maybe it does come from picking little parts from all the different bits. So I thought instead of changing altogether, what is something I could integrate that would fill that gap in a sort of part-time way? You know, what's another little project on the side that I could do that would fill the gap? And what is that gap? And more and more I, you know, journaled and I reflected on it and I realized that the big thing I was missing was human communication because as the business got bigger, my role became less in the customer service, more sort of logistics, high-level coordination, which was all back-end and not out with the people, which is where I realized I love being. And I would also get a lot of speaking gigs and have these amazing conversations about all the shit bits that happen in between and realize again that I wasn't sharing those anywhere. Like no one gets to hear all that extra stuff. The whole way that Spoonful of Sarah became a thing at all was because that's where I shared all the stuff that didn't go as well on Matchamade and that wasn't like the glossy polished business page. It was kind of the messy powder all over my face. Like I failed today, I'm crying because I'm having a breakdown kind of, that was where all that stuff lived. And it kind of came to me that maybe the next thing I need is an excuse to have more conversations about that stuff, about the real stuff, the journey, the behind the scenes, the story, the fact that we all don't know what we're doing, the fact that we all have different iterations and everything's a roller coaster. I wanted to share that stuff more because that's what I felt that was the new place that lit that fire in my belly that made me think I'm having an impact. I want to get people at the stage that I was at where they don't question anything and they're just neutral on autopilot. I want to be the circuit breaker. I want something that I do or some sentence that I have in a chat to like help them discover that you can not just seize the day, you can seize your yay. And that's literally, again, I was like, yep, answer a podcast, bought the equipment the next day, locked in the first guest three days later, had absolutely no idea what I was doing. But I was like, got to rip the Band-Aid. you got to just do it. <laughs> you have to take action. It's so you true. you just got to take action. <laughs> and I think that is the brilliant thing about your Instagram and also about the podcast is it really does feel like a backstage pass into all of the <laughs> stuff that you don't get to see otherwise. And I love that and I think it's brilliant. And you mentioned, of course, boundaries. And so I'd love to circle back to that and I guess just ask you, how do you realistically in a day manage all of the tabs and platforms? Do you have like a daily routine where you allocate certain parts of certain days and times, you know, to a set business? Do you have a podcast day each week or do you tend to be a bit more fluid? I have found that experimenting with different structures over time has been the best way to figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, and I think all of us respond to different cues and our uh, our motivation is so different. But for me personally, I find that I have to treat things seriously by seeing them. Like I, I, I kind of categorize lots of different things in my mind and I'll, I'll only treat them seriously if I have given them that level of seriousness. So what I found that I was doing for a long time was I put things in my calendar that were like non-negotiable, like a business meeting that I had to do. But my exercise or my meditation or my podcast, which at the start was just a, a fun hobby, I wouldn't put them in. I'd just be like, 
oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it sometime. Like sometime this week I'll fit that in. But because I hadn't written it down anywhere, I treated only the things that were written down as like tier one of priorities and everything else was just like whenever. And because it wasn't written down, if I got tired or I ran out of time or I got carried away, they would just drop off the list altogether. So for me, the best way to treat my boundaries seriously is to have actually put them in the calendar. Like I, I look at um, my calendar is always on week view so I can see exactly what the week looks like. And I try and put in everything, everything that's important, everything that I want to achieve, work as my personal life is exactly the same seriousness and color and everything as work appointments. Everything goes in there so that nothing can get forgotten. Nothing can get missed. If I do have to, you know, of course you have to be flexible and fluid. And if things move around, at least that way I move them, I don't delete them because it's a much bigger thing to actually delete an event or delete rest time. You actually have to think about it. There's like a trigger of, am I sure that I I want to get rid of this? Real pause and accountability. Yeah. Like if you don't write it down, it's easy to cancel because it's not there. So I found that like I need a little tripwire to think, okay, that's in there for a reason. If I don't do it today, I'm, I am I have to move it somewhere else. Otherwise, I'm never going to catch that up. That's what's worked for me. Um, I don't know how it works for other people, but I have heard from a lot of others that treating things the same in your calendar can really help you visually kind of acknowledge the importance of those times. Um, otherwise, they just don't get done. <laughs> I think it all goes towards building evidence that you care about yourself as an identity it's evidence going oh I am the sort of person that values myself because I'm taking it seriously so even if you know you do have days where you're fluid or you can't be bothered doing xyz or whatever it is it's still the actions and the systems that make you feel and build that evidence that you are the type of person who values herself and I think that's one thing that all of our listeners could perhaps take on board today because even you know and especially when you are a stay-at-home mom it's so easy to think oh I don't need to schedule anything in for myself because I'm at home all day but in actual fact if you do write things down and you have a bit of a plan and you know you know that it's important for you to get whether it's that workout or that phone call with a friend in or half an hour to make a vision board or whatever it is if you (laughs) actually write it down and commit to it it really does go a long way. Totally, totally. Just I kind of think once you know your own thought processes and once you know your own brain, everything is just a mind game around that. Even starting a new project, you know, if you know that you're super self-doubtful and you know that you're going to easily talk yourself out of it, your first step should always be find the friend that will always talk you back into it and call them first. Whatever it is, I think the, the best skill you can ever learn is to manipulate your own thoughts in a way that suits you. And that's all I've really been doing over the past few years is getting to know my brain and my habits and where it goes and then how to work around it the best to still get all the things that I want to get done. <laughs> Self-awareness is just, it's everything. Like you said, when you know yourself, that's when you can build out those little systems and those hacks to kind of smooth the path ahead. So I think that that's such great advice. And just speaking of advice, I know that it can be a little bit hairy at times when you're working with your partner. How do you (laughs) and Nick navigate wearing both hats of being both partners in life and love, but also in business? Oh, gosh, it's taken us a long time to find a happy medium. I think um, in any big transition in your relationship, it does take a lot of work and experimentation. 
the best thing that we ever did was divide up the departments, even though it's a bit artificial because most of the time you're all doing everything, but divide up all the departments and decide which of you is responsible for which ones. So by doing that, even if you have disagreements or even if there are, you know, times where you can't decide between one or the other, you know who has the final say on each area. And if, if you know who's the boss in each thing, the area for conflict or disagreement or challenge is kind of removed because you have you know who's the boss of what. Otherwise, it was it gets all very messy and very difficult to resolve um, disagreements because when it's going well, it's easy to be in business with your partner. It's the best thing ever. It's more when disputes or disagreements arise. What, what else have we found really useful? Again, boundaries, like just being able to distinguish when you're talking to each other as business partners and when you're talking to each other as life partners, it feels really artificial to do that at the start and you feel like a bit of a wanker, but it's so important to know when you're on and when you're off, particularly right now because we're all in isolation. We're not only working together and living together, we're physically in the same house doing the work together. So we're literally not apart at all. The only way to survive and keep part of your personal life separate is to have real, really clear separation between when you're in work mode and when you're in personal mode. So while we used to kind of work in the same room or we'd let ourselves go on our laptops in our bedroom, you know, the lines get too blurry and that's where things really can get messy. And and even if there's no big blow up, you can get up, end up realising your housemates who work together because you haven't left any time for yourself to have romance or date night. And we definitely fell into that. So now we have different working areas in the house. When we're, you know, when we're finished, we stay in there till we're finished and then we don't take our laptops out of those rooms. We try and keep really clear working hours. Um, we don't, you know, weekends are meant to look different from weekdays. It's an exception if we have to do a lot of work on those days and we still do it in our actual working rooms, not our home room. Um, little things like that really help you keep uh, keep a grip on the separate relationships that you have and make sure that they can both be really productive and also just communication like the biggest issue that people ever run into is one of you expecting something the other not knowing that you're expecting that and then you being resentful and then them wondering why you're being resentful I think if you if you can treat like when you're with a third party if you thought someone's idea was bad you would never just lay it out on them and go oh your idea is shit Whereas with your partner, you take liberties because you know them. You don't go, oh, look, it's a really good idea, but I just think I just have some feedback. You know, you just rip it you out. Don't give them that positive sandwich of laying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So little so things true. like knowing that when you're in work mode, you have to treat them like speak to them like you would a work colleague. You know, those kind of things really help save your relationship. I think that that is all such brilliant advice. And I'm so grateful for your time today in sharing all of this. But before I let you get back to your day, I would love to just finish up with a series of rapid fire questions. They're super simple and I'll just shoot them off. And if you just share with us the first response that comes into your mind, that would be amazing. Perfect. Okay. So the first one is what is your standard cafe order? Oh, okay. A black chai tea with a dash of milk. Um, scrambled eggs or poached eggs on sourdough with avocado and goat's cheese every time sounds amazing (laughs) and would you say that you are more a sweet or savory kind of gal savory for sure and how would you describe your daily uniform or style uh active wear regardless of whether i've been active 
<laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it's so conducive to doing. I love it. And what is your favorite song at the moment? Oh, that is a good one. I don't actually know what my favorite song is at the moment. My favorite song of all time, or one of my I'm favorite sure songs of all time, uh, is from our wedding. Um, it's Jason Mraz, I'm Yours. Such a beautiful song. Yeah, I think that's one of my, I think because there's so many memories attached. Musically, though, oh, there's so many. God, I wouldn't even know. I love Swedish House Mafia, um, but I also really love super hippie muso bands as well. I have the weirdest taste in music. It covers everything, like every genre ever. Um, I always yeah. say that as well. I'm like, with me, if you look at my daily playlist, it's like so jarring. You know, one minute it's Whitney <laughs> Houston and the next minute it's Kanye West and it's all very confusing but it makes total sense to me same yeah same I've got music from like the 70s then I've got like a rock but then like hardcore R&B and then house like deep electric house and it's all over the place (laughs) the best of all worlds and speaking of the best what is your best habit oh that's another great one I don't think I've ever been asked that question I think my best habit is how organized I am like I'm really organized with our finances and our budget and the calendar and deadlines I'm pretty reliable with stuff like that yeah I think and what would you say say your worst habit is oh sleep eating I sleep eat all the time you sleep eat yeah it's so weird. Okay, it's I need more started. context. <laughs> it's only started in the last two years, but I think it's because I have a mouth guard that I'm meant to wear um, because I grind my teeth. And I just for the last two years have been really bad at wearing it. And because I think my mouth is free, I'm sort of like, oh, yay, my mouth is free. And I'll wake up, like even when I stay in a hotel for work or something, and I, like I mentioned, not a sweet tooth don't really love lollies or chocolate um I'll wake up with like mini bar packets open and finished (laughs) next to my head like sometimes I wake up the first few times it happened I would wake up with an avocado skin and a pip and a spoon next to my head I feel like this is perhaps my best answer ever for your worst (laughs) habit it's brilliant it's just bizarre like who would have thought you could fully get up go to the fridge chew and not know and then wake up but what really scares me is that sometimes there's evidence like a skin or a pip or something what about all the things that there is no evidence of like what am I eating that's true (laughs) that's so funny um next question what is a must-read book that you would recommend Oh my gosh, again, so many. I love reading. I'm a huge crime fan. Um, What have I read recently? So one book that I tell everyone in the world to read, which is the weirdest book recommendation ever, is called Emergency Sex. It's got nothing to do with sex, so don't worry. It's a book based on the diaries of three UN uh, field workers, peacekeepers, who were in six of the same six or seven of the same war zones from Somalia to Haiti to Rwanda um where else were they all the major war zones kind of over the last 20 20 years and it follows how they end up meeting each other and the whole story is about how they live in such a a, a 
kind of a lifestyle of adrenaline and danger and risk and all they want to do is get home to safety and they get home to safety and they can't cope with normal normality so they just sign up and go back to a war zone again it is so interesting it's fascinating emergency sex i'll have to put that in the show notes so that people can refer to that it sounds really interesting from a totally and- different standpoint if you want um, a romance story the bronze horseman is absolutely beautiful and then a crime recommendation the best one i've read recently is the pilgrim it was like one of the best crime books i've ever read it was so suspenseful is it i am pilgrim yes it's on my bedside table it's so funny because yeah the lady that works at my local bookstore months and months ago she recommended it to me and she's been saying to me for so long read it I know what sort of books you read you'll like it you'll like it and I bought it and I picked it up for the first time the other night and I'm only about a chapter into it and I'm not hooked yet so I need to keep going oh my god you need to keep going I couldn't put it down I read the whole thing in one day it was just like yeah it's it's such a big book it's a big book, but then once you get into the story, you're like it's so voraciously fast. consuming it. Yeah, you're just like, and then it's the end. And you're like, oh, no, I want more. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I was literally on the cusp of going, eh, I'm the worst. If a book doesn't grab me in the first two chapters, then I'll go, oh, well, I'll move on. But, okay, I will persist. And no, I think that's a good read book. It. Yeah, it is, but... Perhaps it's one of those books that I need to maybe reread when I'm not so sleepy so that I'm giving it my full attention. I also find with crime books, sometimes you need to get in far enough that you've got all the hooks. And then once you've got all the hooks, you, you then you care about finding out what they are. But kind of in the first chapter, I don't know that you have them all. No, you don't have enough context. Okay, yeah. Good one. I Just, you know, for my own personal reasons, I'm glad you mentioned that one. It's actually one of the best I've I've read recently. (laughs) Okay, because I was starting to doubt Katrina from my local bookstore thinking, "Mm, I don't know if she knows me well, but I'll persist. Yeah. (laughs) What keeps you aligned? Aligned. Okay. Um, The biggest thing has been, um, which has its very own section in the podcast because of this, is play. So I used to think wellness was, well, first I used to have no awareness of it. Then I thought it was physical health and wellness only. Then I realized it was physical and mental. Um, And then most recently I've added a third (laughs) prong, which is that aside from all the things that we do, sometimes we take our wellness so seriously it becomes a task and then that becomes stressful. Um, Mm. One of the things that I, I don't feel right when I don't have is just time to play, to do something that is totally, I don't need to achieve. I don't need to get better. I can't improve. There's no productive outcome like puzzles. You know, they're so unproductive that you literally destroy it after you finish or gardening or just something tactile and random. That's got no, like, I'm not trying to be good at it. I'm just having fun. I'm just doing it for my pure joy. And for that moment. Yeah, and so um, it looks different all the time. Like lately, just before we went into isolation, uh, one of our best friends, Ange, and then Nick, my husband, and I had been going to gymnastics classes, and we're so terrible. But we just spend an hour every Friday throwing our bodies around into foam pits and somersaulting and just being like children. And if I don't have that kind of silly downtime where I forget what time it is once or twice a week – I just feel so, I can't cope with anything else. But 
if I have like even so I give myself Sunday every week is what I call sloth Sunday and that's when I have absolutely nothing on the to-do list I'll just potter and do a dance class on YouTube or I'll just read a crime book all day or I'll binge a whole series on Netflix whatever it is I need that silly playtime where I don't care what time it is and if I have that once a week I can do anything during the week and I'm fine. If I miss it one week, I'm, I'll be funny for like weeks. I love that. And that leads into my next question, which is one that I have really been thinking about so much in the last year. I've had a lot going on in my own personal life. And one of the things that was sort of brought to the surface for me was that so often, particularly for women who have little ones, fun is like the first thing that gets taken off the table. It's, you know, fun is just a luxury Mm. and people forget what is actually fun for them. Mm. And a couple of months ago, Sarah, I sent a text out to all of the women in my phone and I asked them a couple of questions. I said, you know, what do you do for fun? How often do you do it? Um, I think they're the main kind of ones. And if you can't think of anything, just say pass. And literally the large majority of my responses were pass or they were things like, oh, fun would be traveling, but I only get to do that once every couple of years. Or fun would be a night out with friends, child free, but that really only happens, you know, twice a year. And it was just noticing, okay, so many of us have disconnected with fun. And then I sent the same text message to all of the men in my phone. And I kid you not, all of them were able to respond quickly (laughs) With things that they do for fun, you know, from surfing to wakeboarding to, you know, drinking beer and putting bets on. And they were quick, you know, they were quick with their fun (laughs) list. And so it's something that I've been wanting to discuss more. And so that definitely, you know, you've mentioned the gymnastics class and having that space to play. Are there any other things that you do purely just for fun? Yeah, gosh, (laughs) I used to be exactly the same. I had no idea what I did for fun. I didn't even remember what that feeling was, but now I'm kind of accruing a a nice little list. So those gymnastics classes uh, were definitely a huge, huge source of fun. Um, I find, yeah, reading, just reading fiction and nothing self-help, nothing nonfiction that encourages me to like think about life and direction Mm. and, and goals. Um, crime books, war history I find really interesting. I love Netflix. I love puzzles I mentioned. We love um, our golden retriever, Paul, is like the best little. Paul. <laughs> he's, he's the best source of joy in the whole world, just playing with him for hours. Um, we started this challenge during ISO where uh, people send Nick requests for like photos of famous couples in movies and then we have to recreate them with Paul. Um, that's been so hysterical <laughs> and like such a waste of time, but so much fun. <laughs> um, I uh, it's interesting. I love exercise, but I don't put that in my fun category because I find I'm trying, like it's a task for me. So that's not something that I completely escape into. Um, gardening. I love, we've started slowly, slowly renovating our house. So painting and, uh, yeah, I love designing things, so just messing around with CZA pictures and logos and memes and fonts and stuff I love doing. But really my favourite forms of fun are the ones that are tactile and that take me away from devices and Proper I kind play. of, yeah, if I forget what time or day it is, I'm playing. 
Mm, that's such a great tip. And last but not least, and because I know that you are the queen of quotes, what is, I won't say your all-time, but I'll say one of your all-time favourite quotes. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. It's like choosing your favourite children. Um, <laughs> it's a Maya Angelou quote. People will never remember what you said or what you did. They will always remember how you made them feel. And I think in business and in personal life, people won't necessarily remember the things that I used to agonize over, like where the dot point is and where the, you know, if you got your semicolon right and like I agonize over the perfect wording of captions and stuff. I realized all they remember is how they feel when they interact with you. And if you can think of the feeling that you want to be your business brand or your personal brand and channel all your energy into leaving people with that feeling, everything else falls into place. I love that. Very, very powerful. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself with our community today. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak with you. Where can our listeners connect with you? Oh, everywhere. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She's got 28 social accounts. I do. (laughs) Uh, Mainly, I think the Spoonful of Sarah or CZA Instagram accounts. I'm on those all the time or any of the email addresses. Um, Yeah, I try and reply to everyone. So shoot me a, a line. Brilliant. I'll make sure that we have all of that info in the show notes along with your book recommendations as well. And again, thank you and stay safe. And I hope that isolation continues to treat you as well as possible. You too. Thank you so much for having me.